It's time for your NBA fix. This is the Big Show Daily Assist. Featuring all the latest news and insight on the association. Now joining the Big Show. Senior NBA writer for Sports Illustrated, Howard Beck. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Howard, welcome uh, to the big show. This is weird. Sam Amick's calling me right now. That's really weird. <laughs> Howard, thanks for uh, joining us. How are you? <laughs> Good evening, guys. Tell Sam to chill. You can talk to him later. Sam, I'm hosting a show, brah. What are you What are you calling me for? He probably probably is wondering where is uh, I owe him some money or something. We'll see. Uh, Howard Beck of Sports Illustrated. Now, last time we had John Howard uh, last week, the Jazz were winning without Donovan Mitchell services. And then they went through a weekend and lost twice to the Wolves, and I blame you. I mean, clearly, that, that <laughs> there's some things that they cannot withstand, and the Howard Beck jinx <laughs> combined with now that I work at SI and it's the SI jinx. Yes. Like it's, I mean, you know, you guys have heard me say this before. Like, there's just the ebbs and flows of a season, and so like any 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 one little you know divot is not much to uh, to get too excited about. Although, it has put them in a position, of course, now where tonight facing the Phoenix Suns, suddenly it's a game for first place in the Western Conference and home court advantage throughout the playoffs and all that stuff. So, you know, there are consequences for, for stumbles, especially in the West where, you know, it's, it's always it's always just a, uh, a dogfight. Yeah, about that, how important is it in your opinion, Howard, for a team like the Jazz to have that home court advantage in a year where the playoff home court advantage might be a little strange? I do think it's still something, right? Like, we're not going to see buildings to capacity probably anytime soon. Certainly not in the first round. Is it possible that by the second round or the conference finals that we will see full capacity buildings in the NBA with, you know, I think we just crossed um, 50% of all adults in in the U.S. now have, have been vaccinated. Like, we're getting closer to normalcy. I don't know how quickly the NBA will decide to make that leap. So, but the crowd is only one part of it, right? Um, there are other comforts of home and of not having to travel. And in the case of the Utah Jazz, like the Denver Nuggets, you have the advantage of elevation. And so to the extent that that has an impact, yeah, I mean, everybody else, your impact is only about your crowd. But Utah and Denver have the added potential advantage of elevation and what that does for you and what that does to your opponent. So, so. Now, throw on top of that one more element, which is something that we've talked about often when I've been on the show, which is that I think home court is more important to teams that haven't been there. The Jazz have been in the playoffs, but they've never been in this uh, configuration to the conference finals. I think they're going to probably need or certainly will benefit from having home court advantage throughout the playoffs. So this is something they definitely want to fight for, and I think it's something that if they lost it could be significant. Hey, Howard, Tanner Mangum here. Uh, We'd love to get your thoughts on the Utah Jazz and Phoenix Suns. Obviously, huge matchup tonight. Number one playoff spot on the number one seed on the line. Monty Williams, Quinn Snyder, two great young coaches. I mean, I think before the season started, if you were to tell me that the Utah Jazz and the Phoenix Suns were 1-2 in the West, it'd be hard to believe. But talk to me about those two young coaches and maybe who, in in your mind, uh, should be coach of the year. Because I think, honestly, it's kind of coming down to those two. I would have absolutely not believed you if you had told me on December 15th or whatever, on the eve of the season, 
that we were going to finish this year with the Jazz and the Suns having the two best records in the NBA, basically, um, hmm. which is where they stand right now. I, I would not n- – neither order. It's Utah, Phoenix, Phoenix, Utah. I just would not have believed you. Um, <laughs> and I would have been more inclined to believe that the Jazz could be there than the Suns, of course, because the Jazz were at least already a, a good, solid, respectable, middle-of-the-pack playoff team, whereas the Suns were a lottery team for 10 years. And I expected this, that Chris Paul's arrival would make a difference and that year two of Monty Williams would make a difference and that some internal growth – among their young core could make a difference, but not this kind of leap. This is crazy. Teams don't make this kind of leap uh, without adding, you know, a, a, a LeBron James type or something. And, you know, it's not that Chris Paul's not a great player. He's a future Hall of Famer, but at this stage of his career, you expect him to improve a team. You don't expect him to take them from 10th to potentially first. So uh, a lot of different things go into that. Uh, if you had asked me, and we do this all the time, right? We, we check in on awards like every like five minutes. If you would ask me in January, um, coach of the year, at that point, it was Quinn Snyder. In February, probably still Quinn Snyder. I think Monty Williams and Tom Thibodeau have both made uh, you know, a, a massive campaign on their own behalf of the last couple of months with the performance of their teams. And so I think those three are the clear front runners, and I think you will see every possible combination of those guys in those slots. I think a couple others will enter the discussion. Doc Rivers will get some votes. Steve Nash might get some votes. Mike Malone could get some votes. Um, I'm not sure who else beyond that. And, you know, Nate McMillan could get some votes as, as coach of the half year, essentially, after taking <laughs> over for Lloyd Pierce in Atlanta. Yeah. Um, so there's Ty Lue could get some votes. So I think, per usual, there's a, a field of at least six or seven guys. But I think... I think Monty Williams, Quinn Snyder, Tom Thibodeau are the three clear front runners in my mind. I think for me, this is one where it's going to go down to the wire. It's possible that whoever gets the best record in the West, that might do it for me, um, especially if it's Phoenix. I, like if, if the Suns go from 10th to 1st, having only really added Chris Paul and Jay Crowder, uh, you know, again, like it's not that Chris Paul doesn't have an influence on that, but this is year two under Monty Williams, and the growth that they've had in the two years that he's been there has been immense. And to, to go from 10th to 1st would just be astounding. So I'm not saying for sure that that would do it, but that might. Yeah, I, I think the uh, the culture also that, that Monty Williams has has instilled in that team, they talked about it last year during the bubble, that the players, just, they love playing for him. They love the uh, the culture that he's created there. And I'm with you. To go from 10th to 1st is is, uh, is pretty remarkable. Chris Paul really cementing himself as a team improver. I mean, wherever he goes, the team gets better, whether it's the Clippers, the Rockets, the Thunder, and how the Suns, I mean, wherever he goes, uh, wins follow. So, uh, you know, a lot of respect to him and his Hall of Fame career. And uh, it, it'll be interesting to see how this, how this, uh, this Western Conference shapes up uh, here in the last 10 games of the season. Yeah, no doubt. Um, and I think it's been one of the better parts of this season is just the, some of the pleasant surprises we've seen. The Jazz making a leap, the Suns making a massive leap, the Knicks making a massive leap. You know, none of these things that we could have seen coming, and they've all been really fun to watch. Right. And, you know, uh, we'll, we'll see how things shake out here at the top of the standings soon. Uh, so we've been talking a lot this week about weighing health uh, versus chasing down a, a playoff seed. And with that in mind, Howard, I'm going to cheat a little on this. I'm not going to include Nikola Jokic 
because I think he'd be the runaway answer here. But the one, two, three, and five seeds in the West right now, Donovan Mitchell, Chris Paul, Kawhi Leonard, LeBron James, who is more critical to their team's championship hopes as far as staying healthy goes? Wow. Um, I mean, obviously they all are. Like, no, none of those teams are winning a championship without the guys you mentioned. Even the Lakers. So, which is what, I mean, are the Lakers winning a championship without a healthy LeBron? That's what I'm asking, yeah. Yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. Like, I don't yeah. – like, it, this is why when, when we do, like, MVP discussions and people will do the, this guy's the MVP because if you took him off of his team – no, no, no. Every single player who's worth anything – who's a star in this league, if you took them off their team, that team would tumble. That's why they're so valuable. Whether they would tumble from first to sixth versus sixth to lottery, like, that's, not, that's not the calculus. The cal- it's, 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 all of these guys are important, and, and none of their teams are winning championships without them. Look, the, the Lakers we've seen for the last month without Anthony Davis or LeBron, and even with Anthony Davis back but no LeBron, the Lakers are a best-and-average team. And LeBron is absolutely critical to them. You know, it's not like they have some surplus of talent, and that's what happens when you've got the best player in the game. Um, and in Anthony Davis, you know, one of the top, whatever, six, seven players in the game. That's The drop-off from those guys to the rest of their crew is steep. So, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know how to put those guys in order, Austin, just because, like, they're, like, they're all critical to their team's success. Yeah, I, I think so as well. Uh, the, the discussion around here has – mostly been about uh, the Jazz uh, when they have been healthy and have been playing together this season. That's why they're the number one team in the league is they've played well and they've been one of the more healthy teams in the NBA. And now they're getting these nicks and dings and ankles and hamstrings and things right before the playoffs start. I think you would agree that health trumps uh, seeding. Uh, but at what point do you decide, okay, we've won enough, let's sit everybody for the rest of the regular season? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't think they have that luxury. Like, you know, back to my premise earlier, I think the Lakers, if they needed to rest guys, like now's not the time, obviously, and they've just had a long rest because of injuries. But, like, if the Lakers needed to rest guys, they can afford to do that. They don't have to worry about seating most of the time. A team like the Jazz, I think it, it matters. Like, you know, you're, as soon as those guys are healthy, you want them back. But, yes, like you, you do want health for the playoffs. This is just the, the tightrope that every team walks at this time of year. And somebody had done the analysis recently about, you know, the relative success of Utah, Phoenix, and New York, like these three teams that all have been surprising in, in just their, their win total and their, the success of their seasons. They have been three of the most healthy teams in the league. So luck has had a role in this. You know, we've seen injuries just decimate other teams and COVID protocols decimate teams. And, you know, the Jazz up until the last couple of weeks had, had been very fortunate in terms of their health. Uh, Howard, last question here. Uh, th- looking at the Jazz's playoff, uh, playoff slate here, the Western Conference, obviously, top to bottom, I mean, one, one through eight, teams that could present some uh, some challenges to the Jazz. If you're the Jazz, which teams do you not want to face in that first or second round? I mean, I think the Jazz fans everywhere will, will tell you that the, every season there's a lot of hope, but then come playoff time, they can just never get over that hump, uh, that, that first and second round. So if, if you're looking for an ideal playoff run, what slate are you looking for the Jazz? 
Yeah, and it's really tough, too, because now when we have the play-in tournament, you know, we won't know who the seventh and eighth seeds are until, you know, three, four days after the season ends. <laughs> uh, because seven and eight have to play each other, nine and ten have to play each other, and then the loser of seven eight has to play the winner of nine ten. Um, <laughs> if the Jazz are, are first, then they're not going to know who the eighth seed is for a bit there. Uh, and it could be at least any one of four teams right now, even one of five teams, if you want to say that Dallas could still slip down down there. I don't want to see Steph Curry in the first round. I don't want to see Luka in the first round. I don't want to see Dame in the first round. Yeah. Like those are the easy those are the easy ones because they just the guys get on a roll and you just never know. And Dame always comes up big in the playoffs. By by just process of elimination, I guess that leaves the Grizzlies and Spurs as, as teams that might be you know less scary. But, you know, John Morant's incredibly talented, but that team is really young and, and lacking postseason experience. So maybe you're better off with the inexperienced first-round matchup. Nevertheless, I, I expect the Jazz are going to be in the second round. And the real question here is more about that, that second-round matchup because if the Lakers stay in that 4-5 range, man, mm-hmm. like that's, that's a, a brutal pass for, for Utah to have to deal with the Lakers in round two. Yep. And on those lines, as we let you go, Howard, I saw, I haven't had a chance to listen to it, obviously, but I saw you and uh, Mannix, your latest NBA crossover. You had the scheduling guru, the analytics and strategy guy, Evan Wash of the NBA on, and you guys talked, at least in the tease I see here, about that play-in tournament. Where do you stand on this thing as, a, as an idea moving forward? Is it okay for one year? Do you want to see some tweaks and keep it, or do you hate it altogether? I think it's great. I think it was absolutely necessary, and I think that it has had the exact effect that you would want. I know some people are looking at it as just like, oh, this was kind of a a buffer, a safety net in a weird year where, you know, it gives teams a chance at the end to still be in play for the postseason despite COVID and everything else that that teams have gone through. It's more than that. This is basically step two of of an anti-tanking campaign by the league. First, they flattened the lottery odds two years ago. And we've seen the effects of that. Now there, there's not quite as much of a race to the bottom anymore. And no guarantee that, that you'll get a top pick uh, by any stretch by, by being bad. And then by in, having the, the play-in involving the ninth and 10th teams in each conference, well, now 20 out of 30 teams automatically are in play as you come down the stretch. But it's more than that because in the West – uh, you, know, you know, the Pelicans have kind of faded. And so the Pelicans and Kings are out now. But like a week ago, the Pelicans and Kings were still plausibly in the race and had reason to compete. The Raptors and Bulls, the 11th and 12th teams in the, in the East, are still plausibly in play for the play-in and have reason to compete. So if you can have, you know, 22, 24 teams in the, in the league still with something to play for in the last weeks of a season, that's a huge improvement over the past where teams would say, oh, you know what, we're four games back, we're five games back, we can't make the playoffs, let's pull the plug, rest our veterans, play the kids, you know, all the other stuff that teams do down the stretch when they don't care about winning anymore. And, you know, th- those are all various versions or, 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 and, uh, you know, versions of tanking. And the, the play-in tournament has discouraged that, and that's a good thing. He's Howard Beck. He's with us every Friday here on The Zone. Howard, sad to tell you, uh, probably next week Gordon will be back, so you have to deal with him again. <laughs> I, I, I can handle it. I'm experienced with uh, dealing with Gordon and, uh, and Jake, and uh, I'll, be, I'll, I'll, I'll be all right. I look forward to your call next week. <laughs> Jake, Jake's wife had a baby yesterday, and so he'll be out oh, for a little bit, but uh, Gordon will be back. Jake. Yep, congrats yep, to, they to had Jake. Their second. I'll pass that on. Awesome. Thanks, Howard. Have a good week. Thanks, Howard. Thanks, guys.